Hello and welcome to the Croydon Vineyard podcast. Just before we dive into the talk, we want you to know that you are so welcome and that we'd love to hear from you and be in touch. You can reach us at croydonvineyard.org.uk, click contact or head over to the events page where you can connect with us at one of our online or in-person events. Over to the talk now as we go into the series to the promised land on foot. So today we're going to start a new series called To the Promised Land on Foot. To the Promised Land on Foot. We're going to look at the book of Deuteronomy. And as I tell you this, you might be thinking to yourself, Deuteronomy, like Deuteronomy, really? Well, Deuteronomy we're going to look at for three reasons. Reason one Deuteronomy is perhaps Jesus' most quoted book. Number two, Deuteronomy is part of our story. We are people in a story, an arc of God's writing, a narrative that he's crafting from the Eden to the city in Revelation. And Deuteronomy is a key part that tells us that story. And people in our day, we we live often, our insecurity comes from the fact that we're not rooted in an understanding of ourselves in this big story. Deuteronomy helps us understand our story. Thirdly, and maybe most significantly, I think at this moment, Deuteronomy shows us the concept of journey. Journey is a huge biblical theme and Deuteronomy just opens it up to us, it unpacks it to us. So let's get into the book of Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament, 34 chapters and and 33 of those chapters almost certainly are a sermon that Moses preached to the people of Israel. They'd been captive in Egypt, under Pharaoh, they'd been in slavery, God had acted just miraculously and wonderfully to set them free. Pharaoh lets them go, they cross the Red Sea, they enter the wilderness, they wander around in the wilderness, and then as they have failed first time to go into the Promised Land, they've been sent back for 40 years in what in this book Moses calls the vast and terrible desert. Poor Moses, the vast and terrible desert. 40 years and then they land now on the edge, the brink, ready to cross the River Jordan to go in to the Promised Land. And Moses preaches this sermon. And so we look at this to understand journey. Moses is speaking to sojourners. They've been rescued, they've wandered through the wilderness to the Promised Land on foot. God has a version of journey, which is the journey of life. I feel he wants us to know it, to live it, to understand in it, so we can thrive in it. The first part of God's understanding of journey is this. He has claimed you and me, us as his people, out of slavery. He's claimed us. He's claimed us. Now here we embrace the idea of salvation. We step into the biblical doctrine of salvation. It's a term we use a lot in church, but what does it really mean? What does it point us to? How does it affect our journey? 
chapter 7, verses 6 to 9, this is what Moses preaches to the people. You're a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you, chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other people, for you were the fewest of all people, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. Salvation focuses that in the past God acted on his loving initiative. It wasn't because of anything we did, but because he set his affection on us and he has unflinching faithfulness to what he said he's going to do salvation looks back in time god did this and part of salvation in the biblical understanding of the term is that we're feeble we're just feeble people we couldn't set ourselves free we were slaves to pharaoh and feeble as we were we needed a rescuer to come in it's the action of God to be our rescuer. It's that the focus of salvation is not freedom from slavery only. It's freedom from a bad leader, from a horrible leader to a good leader. Salvation is not just this was a terrible leader and now go off and do whatever you want. Salvation is he was a horrible leader. He was destroying you. He was persecuting you and mistreating you. And a good leader has knocked him out of the way and stepped into his place. So think about, for example, it's, I don't know if we can all even bear to think of such people, but the team Manchester United. I mean, just even that sticks in my throat, just saying that name up. Oh, Manchester United and the supporters of Manchester United recently in April of this year they, they they formed a protest and they actually invaded Old Trafford and what were they protesting they were protesting the bad leadership of the Glazier family a family who took ownership of Manchester United as one of the most prestigious and prosperous and um, wealthy clubs in the world and what they did through leveraging their debt and all kinds of they've sucked millions and millions out of the club and many supporters say look this is bad leadership you're ruining our club and they were protesting now what those Manchester United fans what they were protesting was not that they wanted no ownership no leadership they weren't like hey we should just let the players do whatever they want on a Saturday they can wear whatever clothes they want football who cares about football let's just go off and do any sport no they weren't saying that what they were protesting was that we have bad leadership we want to replace that bad leadership with new owners with better owners who will love the club invest in the club help us get to where we want to go that is the call of salvation the cry that is answered by god says there's bad leadership over your life but God has stepped in. He acted in love to replace that bad leadership with his good leadership. So after claim, you've been claimed. I've been claimed by God. I've been claimed. Just look in the mirror. I've been claimed by God. Out of his loving initiative, he claimed me. He's done it. The second thing we see in the book of Deuteronomy is 
that we're then commanded, we're commanded of how to walk this journey. You have been claimed, now you are commanded, you're commanded. And over and over and over again, God says, I command you, do what I command. I'm commanding you, would you do what I command? I've set you free, here's my commandments for how to live, do what I command. And if you read through the book, after a while you'll be like, oh, I think he actually cares about what he's asking me to do. He really wants me to do what he says. Chapter 30, verse 11 says this, now I'm commanding you today, it's not too difficult for you or beyond your reach, it's not in heaven so you have to ask who will I send, it's not beyond the sea, no the word is very near you, it's in your mouth and your heart so you may obey it. See I set before you life, prosperity, death and destruction, I command you, love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, keep his commands, his decrees, his laws and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. Do you get it? Do you get it? It's commands, it claims us, and now he says, do what I say. And the things here is that love has legs. Love has legs. We hear a lot about the love of God and we don't even scratch the surface of the love of God. But so often, love can be considered to be an expression of general affection in your direction. There's a general sense of affection in your direction. Oh, God loves you. Yeah, you know, stroke and ah. It's like, oh, just generally he thinks I'm nice. And love in the book of Deuteronomy is not general a sense of affection in your general direction. Love has legs, it's God paying a high price to give you a healthy life. God paying a high price, he's bought you, you're no longer your own, I bought you. Now he says, command you, live this way. And in the book of Deuteronomy, perhaps most significantly in the Old Testament, repeatedly God refers to himself as a father. I'm a father, I'm going to carry you. Like a father, I'm going to care for you. Like a father, I'm going to discipline you. Family relationship language is used over and over again. God wants us to live in a certain way because he's our God and our living in obedience to his commandments shows allegiance to him. He is now our God, not that bad old one, but he is now our God. And it's a better way to live. It's a twin reason we obey. We obey just to say, yes, you are our God. And we obey because we know it's better to obey than to do whatever we think's best. He knows best. He claims you, he commands you, and then he says, I'm gonna carry you. I'm gonna carry you into the promised land. Chapter one. 29 he says don't be terrified don't be afraid the lord your god is going before you he'll fight for you as he did in egypt before your very eyes and how he did in the desert there you saw how the lord your god carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place this shows us the biblical understanding of faith you hear faith talked about a lot in Christian circles in church. What do we mean by faith? What is faith? 
Well, faith is trust in the faithfulness of God, that God will carry us. He will do the hard graft. He has done the work. He will do the work. He is doing the work right now. It's his power, his character, his strength, his wisdom, his love. Faith says it's him, it's him. Caleb is a character we see in the wilderness. It says, it speaks very highly, not in the book of Deuteronomy particularly, but through the narrative it refers back to. A man of a different spirit. The difference in his spirit was this. He had faith. Caleb was a man who looked at the promised land and he saw what looked like giants there. And he said, this is going to be tough, but God has said it's going to happen. So I trust God will make it happen. Not down to me, Caleb, weak little Caleb. All the others, they looked, and they looked and they thought to themselves, oh, these guys look like giants. They must think we're grasshoppers and we can't do it. They looked at themselves. Faith does not look inward. It looks upward to see the great God. He's claimed you. He is commanding you. He wants you to live true to what he says, and he will carry you through into the promised Land. So Jesus restates this super quick. He speaks of a new covenant. The covenant of Deuteronomy points ultimately to the new covenant that Jesus makes. In John chapters 13 to 17, Jesus basically summarizes and repeats a new version of Deuteronomy. He says, you did not choose me, I chose you. You've been chosen, you've been claimed. He says, I know those I've chosen. He calls them brothers. He says, you're my brothers, you're my friends family metaphors like we saw in Deuteronomy. You've been claimed out of slavery. Paul repeats this. You were bought at a price. You claimed you were slave to sin. Now you've been a slave to God. New Testament understanding. Deuteronomy restated in Jesus Christ. You've been claimed on the cross. When Jesus died, he claimed you. It's a historical event. It happened in the past. It was totally God's doing. And no matter what you do, what you say, Anything you change in your life, it cannot affect that moment of claiming. God claimed, he died, and he claimed on the cross. Secondly, commands. You know, Jesus didn't just die to release grace and say, hey, whoo, go off, do whatever you want, guys. You know, have fun. Up to you now. See you in heaven. Like, have a good trip. He's like, I've claimed you and now I command you. He says, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you remain in my love. There's a lot out there at the moment about we just need to wait on God and rest in God and slow down. And sometimes I think when we, people are just like, we just slow down, we sit and do nothing. And all that really achieves is just slow motion sinning. Like it's just, oh, you know, what well, God says, slow down so you can obey, so you can follow my commands, my commands remaining in me, abiding in me, is doing what I say. You are my friends if you do what I command. He says, in the word you can have many troubles, you can have many troubles. Jesus repeats the emphasis on journey. This is a journey. 
But then on top of what Moses offers the people, Jesus says, but now I give you a counsellor. There's a counsellor. The Spirit is going to help you walk this road. Keep in step with the Spirit, Paul says. The Spirit comes to help you walk this journey. And then even more than that, Jesus then says, better than Moses, who's like, I'm off to die, guys. Jesus says, look, here's the road to walk. Here's the journey to walk. I will pray for you. And he prays for his disciples in the chapters of John. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. And he prays for you and he prays for me. Jesus says, I've claimed you. I command you. Obey my commands. The Holy Spirit is going to help you do that. I'm going to be praying for you to do that, that you'd be loving one another. And then I'm going to carry you into the promised land. Jesus says, I'm the way to the promised land. I'm the truth about the promised land. I'm the life, how you live life now to get to the promised land. I show you what the life of the promised land looks like. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you. I will carry you, says Jesus. I will get you there. It's not about you. It's about him. Trust me. Have faith in me. And so I just, lots of Bible today because this stuff can change us. I want you to understand journey. I want us as a people, I think the Lord is speaking to us as a church to understand journey that we understand what it is to be claimed people, to be commanded people, to be people carried by God to the promised land. Not the physical land of Canaan any longer, but to the kingdom that's coming. We live in an environment just totally defined by existentialism. Existentialism is a philosophy that says what matters is now, it's the moment, it's the instant. Instagram, Snapchat, photographs on social media, everything's about now and it just scrolls down and disappears. Existentialism says carpe diem, what matters is this moment. And what the Bible says to you in this moment is no. We are now people and we're not yet people. We're people in the journey. We look back to see we've been claimed. We look at this moment now. We want to live fullness now. We want to live in the commandments now. But we also now, there's a not yet. There's a not yet. We're headed somewhere. We're on our way to the promised land and our God will carry us there. Jesus is praying for us. The Spirit is helping us. We're not yet people as well as being now people. Let's pray and ask the Lord to make us people who really understand the biblical concept of journey. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that your book is life. I thank you it speaks into our moments and it gives us a bigger vision of you, of what our life is about. I pray for every single one watching this now, that Holy Spirit, you would work to help them walk the journey in the commandments, that you'd strengthen those who doubt that they've been claimed. Just speak to them right now that they'd say yes and receive and accept again your claiming of them on the cross. That Holy Spirit, you'd encourage those who have weak need and feeble arms. And God, Put in your church such confidence in your power and your strength to carry us through 
to all the fulfilment of all your promises. In Jesus' name, Amen.